0: Hi, everyone. This is Alien Talk Podcast, where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs, and where we always push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Roy Olford, and we're here with you again for another engaging, entertaining, and enlightening episode that helps expand all of our knowledge. Thank you for joining us, and we're both here with you after having been to the Ancient Aliens Live in Phoenix, Arizona this past Thursday, January 26th, and having been able to hear a very interesting symposium. We had a really nice time, and I, I think we took some pretty good notes, don't you, Laurie?
1: Oh, yeah, we, we did get some pertinent information out of it. Um, the whole thing was, of course, recorded. So so we think it will probably be aired on a future episode of Ancient Aliens. Um, but we'll present what, what we've learned from listening to those guys, you know, the regulars on the Ancient Alien series, uh, you know, like Giorgio Tsoukalos, William Henry, David Childress, uh, Travis Tyler, and, and Nick Pope. They were all there. And th- there was a, uh, a good bit mentioned about the great megalithic monuments like Pumapunku in Peru, the Giza pyramids, Belbek and Lebanon, you know, the, uh, but also about uh, how Skinwalker Ranch in Utah may actually hold secrets that may have something to do with advanced quantum physics research. So um, some interesting keynotes that we uh, took away from it. And, uh, And we'll cover a lot of it with you all um, uh, next time, which will be on February 12th. Uh, But first, there's a couple of things you'd like to mention before we get further into the topic tonight. Um, We want to give, once again, a big thank you to Aaron Long for being a guest on our show to discuss ancient starships, uh, with special emphasis on the uh, visions of the Prophet Prophet Ezekiel, um, this was our last episode, and uh, is it uh, this was a great episode, by the way, and we've received a lot of positive feedback about it from a lot of you. And also, we want to announce that the Alien Talk Podcast website is up and running. Uh, and if you enjoy the episodes we bring you each month, we ask that you check out alientalkpodcast.com dot com and subscribe, and you sign up for our newsletter. And by doing so, you will receive our monthly newsletter containing information, information on uh, upcoming shows, guests, uh, appearances, uh, book releases, events that we'll be attending, etc. So which we, we will be sending out uh, hopefully on the first of every month.
0: Yeah, and we just want to express our uh, appreciation to all of you who regularly tune into this podcast and help keep it going. Uh, Lori and I definitely hope that the website will serve as a way to better connect with all of you. Uh, of course, we still have our social media platforms, and we also can now be reached through email, uh, all of which can be found on the website. So today we're going to explore the occurrence of alien implants. And now, what exactly is that? Well, like anything else that's associated with aliens, uh, they're mysterious, elusive, and for the most part, unverifiable. Uh, some ufologists believe that foreign objects, whether they are devices or just pieces of something, uh, have been found to be placed inside of people, uh, people who claim to have been at once abducted.
1: Right. Uh, the people who report being abducted by extraterrestrials, that is, uh, and which is a close encounter of the fourth kind, kind—well, will sometimes complain about discomfort in certain parts of their bodies, such as in the back of the head or the back of their neck, um, in the earlobe or in a hand or even in a leg, um, this may go on for years. And, they're, and well they may even feel a lump or of some sort in the uh, area of discomfort, uh, some are even lodged within bones. Now, not all abductees complain about this, of course, but for the ones who do, uh, they seem to have no memory of what happened uh, to cause it to even be there.
0: Yeah, and it's important to mention that the evidence for these implants is virtually non-existent at this point. Of course, there are some photographs of them, and there are some X-ray images of them embedded within a part of the body, but these all lack a source of verification. Um, some expert investigators like Joe Nickel, who writes for the Skeptical Inquirer, and has actually studied the mystery of the uh, the Shroud of Torrin, uh, he posed a legitimate doubts as to the authenticity to anything said to be an alien object in a person's body in his commentary titled investigating the paranormal uh, nickel postulates that the photographs of these removed implanted objects really resemble nothing more than ordinary fragments of glass and metal uh, however uh, much of the veracity to this topic is centered on the research and surgical work uh, by dr roger lear uh, who was a podiatrist by profession and the author of the books uh, The Aliens in the Scapel and Casebook Alien Implants, in which he describes his discovery of small metal objects that he himself extracted from some of his patients during surgeries. Uh, supposedly there are 17 of them, uh, patients that is, that uh, he performed these uh, implant removals on, uh, and he, is a rep- he was a reputable physician who had good standing in the medical field. Uh, he wasn't considered to be a quack, And he had a good bit of credibility uh, during the time of his uh, practice. And he also attests that he sent these objects that he removed from these patients off to the Los Alamos National Laboratory to be further analyzed.
1: Yeah, and this is where it gets weird, though, because um, according to Lear, uh, he presented to Mufon, in, I believe it was 1995 uh, that you know these pieces, which don't look like anything other than pieces of metal, uh, actually have a uh, unique crystalline uh, structures, are uh, you know composed of rare isotopes of elements that are found in meteors, and also uh, they emit uh, fairly strong magnetic fields for their small sizes. Now, when Lear performed the surgical procedures of removing the objects, uh, he said he was surprised to see how perfectly embedded they were within the human tissue. Um, He had a 2006 radio interview with Art Bill at the time on uh, Coast to Coast AM and he suggested that there was a lack of uh, a- any sign of like uh, earlier incisions being made or any sign of uh, scarring uh, of infections. or and, and it was almost as if the person was just born with the object inside of him or, or her.
0: Right. He referred to it as a fibrous inclusion that encapsulated the object, basically making it integral with the surrounding tissue. Now, there was another medical professional named Dr. John Mack. Who was a psychiatrist, and he handled a few cases of people who he said, or who they who they said were uh, abduction victims. Now he never performed surgeries, but in his book *Human Encounters with Aliens*, he mentions how he examined uh, what was a piece of wire about three quarters of an inch long that a female patient alleged had been inside of her nasal cavity ever since the time of her abduction. I uh, he actually saw the uh, piece of wire lodge inside of her nasal cavity. And he actually treated about 100 people who claimed to have been abducted by aliens, with some of them saying that they had implants put into their bodies, and even had some females saying that they found uh, themselves to have been impregnated after the abduction experience. Now, Mac went on the Oprah Winfrey show uh, back in 1994 to say that he initially thought that these people were suffering from mental illness, but then later found that there was no real pathological evidence to back that up. Uh, then he went on to elaborate how he began to take their experiences seriously uh, on a deep psychological and a, on a deep uh, spiritual level, even in a televised interview on both PBS and the BBC. Mac repeatedly repeated this notion uh, by suggesting that these personal testimonies uh, need to be taken at face value. We'll be back after a quick break.
1: Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Yeah, I think Lear emphasized that, uh, that same hypothesis, especially since he himself was asserting that his patients had foreign objects within their bodies. And he actually believed he had tangible proof of alien abductions uh, and thus saying it was the smoking gun evidence.
0: Unfortunately, the implanted objects that Lear extracted from his patients have not been seen by uh, anybody else that we can verify. Um, and, and it shouldn't be surprised that the Los Alamos National Laboratory, as well as the New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology, where he also took the pieces for analysis, uh, they have not confirmed or denied that they have ever received them from Lear. Uh, other experts who looked over the uh, spectrographic composition reports of the objects. Have said that they are inconclusive. Uh, Joe Nickel, who I mentioned earlier, he actually requested Weir's associates to let him see these objects, but he was denied. Now, going back to John Mack's studies of his patients, who he eventually deemed as being non-pathological, um, it brings me the recollection of an incident that I had many years ago, when I responded to a residence for a domestic disturbance call, where an elderly mother and her adult son were in a loud verbal altercation with one another. And I arrived there with another officer, and we saw them on the front patio, uh, kind of arguing with one another, and it looked like they were not getting along. So we separated the two of them, and I told the mother to walk with me to the side of the house so that I could get her statement about what was going on. Now, it didn't take very long for me to realize that this lady had what we call SMI, serious mental illness uh, she began to tell me that her son had a hard time understanding what's happening with her and that he would become frustrated angry and exasperated with her and this is this was what resulted in the two of them uh, yelling at one another and him saying that he didn't want to remain living at the house to uh, help take care of her and she would berate him saying that he lacks enlightenment and, and lacks you know a higher intellect uh, so this is when she says to me that she had a device, with an antenna implanted into the back of her neck and that aliens are communicating with her sort of telepathically uh, via the device in her neck.
1: Uh So let me guess, the son thought that she was just completely nuts and he couldn't stand living with her any longer.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she lifted up her hair to show me the back of her neck and pointed to the incision scar. And it was about two inches long, running vertically in the center of the back of her neck. And it looked like it had, uh, it, it was a surgical incision done professionally, not like it was a cut from some kind of uh, injury. And the, the son later told me that the scar was from a procedure that she had a while back when, um, I guess it was a tumor on the back of her neck that was removed and or something like a cyst. It was benign. Uh, of course, he said that it's, it's not from an alien implant. <laughs> And, and that she was just saying that because, you know, well, he, he, she was crazy. Uh, and to be honest, she was a little bit off. I mean, uh, you know, before the other officer and I left the scene, uh, we, we went inside, or all of us went inside the living room to talk. And uh, we, we wanted to talk to both of them. And now there was a TV set in there that was, you know, turned on. And it was getting that, you know, that digital distortion that you sometimes see, you know, the pixelation from a weak or interrupted digital signal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about.
0: Right. Well, well, she said to us that that was proof that she had an implant and uh, that she was causing that distortion. Uh, of course, <laughs> the rest of the three of us, uh, you know, the son and yeah, yeah, the other officer and I, we knew that it was just a normal video signal distortion that you get from the direct TV satellite dish. Uh, the, the son just rolled his eyes, which began to irritate her even more with saying, see, he just doesn't understand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, when you're a responding officer, you're you're not there to get into people's heads and psychoanalyze them. Uh, you're investigating a possible crime. And if you, if you don't find the evidence for that, then you're trying to maintain peace and order and maybe even get some people to leave the premises, uh, you know, to prevent a future incident that would uh, make you have to respond back there again. So, I, I know you guys would have been like, uh, sure, or whatever. You know, one of you can just leave, or so we don't have to come back here tonight and, and arrest somebody.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and, and as it was, the son did decide to leave and stay with a friend for the evening. But he, he was saying he was done with her. He planned to move permanently away from her, and I could see that she would have been a difficult person for anybody to live with. Uh, not only was she pretty delusional, you know, and she was saying that she is, she was aware that the lights that she saw in the sky at, and in that nighttime, they were not from airplanes, um, which I'm certain that they, they actually were. <laughs> and she was yeah. also saying that she knows that the aliens are trying to communicate with her, um, giving her instructions to deliver to uh, a secret message to then-President Obama. And according to her, she sent letters to the White House mentioning this. And I was like, well, did they, meaning the presidential staff, did they ever get back with you? And she said, no. I'm like, well, I'm not surprised. (laughs) Um, So, you know, are there what you would call crazy people out there who claim to have been abducted and claim to have had implants put into them? Yeah, there absolutely are. But here's the thing. That's the case with just about anything. Uh, We see that with any kind of experience or any kind of phenomena or even any job vocation that there are they are so diverse and so widespread among a lot of people from all over the world just the the normal distribution of probability that uh, they're going to involve people, some of them perhaps mentally ill or mentally dysfunctional on the same token, they're also going to have people who are of sane mind and who are very rational and very articulate and who live normal lives with respectable and responsible occupations. Um, You know, Laurie, we ourselves have seen that quite a bit.
1: Oh yeah. Um, But just, just like there are some people who say, They have had near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences, and you know these people. And some of these people are truly nuts, you know, (laughs) uh, know, certifiably insane. But uh, there are also a substantial number of of those who are clearly not. And I think that actually gives credence to the uh, phenomenon because we see that it is affecting a diverse amount of people if it is truly occurring and occurring at a fairly regular and random way then we would expect testimonies from people with a variety of backgrounds and and that is indeed what we find in a, in and among all of the uh, reported cases it, it's not just crazy people claiming this um, this same thing is true it's true for for those who say find jesus <laughs> yeah i mean some of them are crazy but also um you know we, uh, a lot of them are not
0: yeah, and this is actually a recurrent symbolism that has uh, been pretty well rooted within our psyches, uh, even as far back as antiquity. Uh, you know, these alien beings come here, and then they steal us. It has become and manifested in the literary tradition, and that we see in books and movies. You know, like the War of the Worlds and Orphans of the Sky, Invaders from Mars, Cocoon, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and you know, of course, we can't forget Fire in the Sky. The The Travis Walton story that shocked everyone. The abduction typology works on a very primal level, and it has always been alluded to in our oral traditions. Now, you know, Carl Sagan, uh, he was a a renowned physicist who was, he was quite outspoken in his assertions on the possibility of the existence of intelligent extraterrestrial life, but he was also a skeptic of alien abductions. And in his book, The Demon Haunted World Science as a Candle in the Dark, he explains that such accounts do not uh, hold up to critical analysis. And he has often pointed out how the tests and experiments that are said to have been done by the aliens uh, have been carried out on people are too crude and seem to be unnecessarily intrusive, you know, with the mention of brutish instruments. Um, And he asserts that even we, you know, with our own medical technology, are able to learn about organisms by merely studying their genes and by doing so humanely without inflicting pain or assault. Um, And uh, this advanced extraterrestrial uh, race of um, abductors should be able to do the same. Um, Yet, you know, uh, there is a a documentary that came out a few years ago, and it covered a case uh, about an implanted object being surgically removed from someone's leg. Isn't that right, Laurie?
1: Yeah, it's uh, called Patient 17, and uh, some of y'all may have seen it, but it was done in uh, 2014, and it's about Roger Lear and one of his patients who had a small piece of metal lodged in the calf of his right leg. Um, It was supposedly about his 17th patient who had a so-called alien implant removed. So the guy, and he wasn't identified by name, uh, only as Patient 17, I believe, Uh, said that he was abducted and believed that uh, the metal was embedded under the subcutaneous subcutaneous, uh, skin layer in his calf and had been there for uh, I think over 10 years he said Uh, it's kind of like um, you know what you would see with a typical TB test when it put the little needle underneath your skin and it bubbles up the skin but then it you know goes back down but um, but it did show up on uh, x-ray and ultrasound as well and they they did show the surgical removal of, of what was a very thin sliver of uh, dark metal from his leg um, about the size of a grain of rice I, I would say uh, but in the movie the the narrator Jeremy Corbell asked Lear and other physicians about the possibility of it being alien then nan- uh, uh, nanotechnology, like a tiny microchip, they all seem skeptical, thinking it was most likely something lodged up in the patient's leg without him knowing about it. Meaning something from from here on Earth. Um, it, even the patient, is, is or he's not too sure, thinking that it could have been something from when he, you know, he was a kid in his childhood.
0: Yeah, we've all heard about so-called nanotechnology, uh, which is a higher scale of microtechnology uh, that employs devices that are so tiny that they are sized at one billionth of a meter. Uh, micro devices, of course, would be those that are one millionth of a meter. So, it's been put forward that circuit chips that are on such a small scale uh, can be inserted uh, into the human body, so as to possibly be, you know, neuro devices that interface with the human brain now we we've all heard that mentioned before and even if we're not at the point uh, for such a thing to be implemented uh at this time we certainly encounter these circuit chips every day uh, with our with all of our computers uh, mobile devices uh, smartphones i mean even smart cell phone wristwatches uh, all of that very small uh, devices that do uh, amazing uh computational capability so we we know that uh, nanotechnology does indeed exist
1: yeah, and this documentary, the uh, Patient 17, seems to support the uh, idea that circuit chips can be inserted into the human body. Um, in one part, it suggested that alien beings might be alien gangsters wanting to manipulate and control us. Um, they will do what they want because simply they can <laughs> Um They don't care about how you feel and are not there to give you a cure for cancer or anything like that. And this patient said that he was able to break out of that trance and he wanted to attack his abductors. And he claims that there was two occasions where he was abducted twice and it happened in Las Vegas and uh, and that these beings uh, will violate you and use fear as their tactic to kidnap slash uh, abduct you. And he does not want to experience another abduction ever again, is what he said. He said that twice was enough. <laughs> it was more than enough. And even though a piece was removed from him, he still believes that the possibility exists that, you know, he still may have um, this tagging. He still may have stuff in or objects inside of him that, you know, he, he's not aware of. So, it, but, I mean, the guy comes across as a very normal, humble, and sensible guy. Um, He seems genuine, not someone looking for attention, but just wanting to get that object out of his leg. Now, I thought it was interesting when uh, Jeremy Corbo asked him that if this piece of metal is found to be from outer space, will it affect his Christian faith? And he was hoping it was a piece of rock. But if it is from space, then it blows everything he believed out of the water, and that It could very well uh, shake the foundation of his faith, according to
0: him. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, Yeah, and you know, after it's removed, Lear and his patient, uh, patient 17, decide to take it to SEALs Laboratory in El Segundo, California for examination under an electron microscope or scanning electron microscope and and also to be analyzed by spectroscopy. And what they find is number one, and that the, it is attached to the nerve endings in the sample of subcutaneous skin tissue uh, which is like it was somehow connected <laughs> it wasn't just lodged in there it was like actually um, wired <laughs> into the skin and two that it was composed of 36 different elements now there was a material scientist named stephen colburn who worked at seals laboratory And he comments that this is very strange, as most alloys are only a mixture of about three to five elements. And that is even more bizarre that it was extracted from a a human leg. Uh, There was another scientist on the the documentary, a nanophysicist named uh, Christopher. um, And he said that the isotopic ratio of zinc uh, 64 to zinc 66 was off by more than 2% of what is found in nature. And he said this led him to believe that it was indeed not from our planet.
1: Right. The, the conclusion seemed to be that uh, that with all of the rare elements and isotopes found that the device was not from Earth, that it was intentionally fabricated, uh, and that it had been uh, sophisticated, uh, sophisticatedly embedded into the patient's uh, nervous system, and, and it wasn't just underneath the skin, because when they took it out, you could see that it, it appeared that it was actually attached to, like, nerve endings.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, the um, the documentary became a little uh, uncanny and even eerie at one point, at least for me, and, and that is this. The reason is not because of this. Uh, it, it was filmed during the time that spanned Roger Lear's passing. Um, he died when this uh, documentary was being made. And in in one of the scenes, the the patient uh, is even at Lear's gravesite. And and Jeremy Korbel then explains that that much of the knowledge about this subject had died along with Lear. He he goes on to say that, you know, other scientists at SEAL Laboratories um, and even at UCLA reviewed the results from the spectrograph analysis. And and they were saying that it was inconclusive um, and that it was possibly uh, not so uncommon. and and that more tests need to be done on it to determine if it was really from outer space or not. So they were all a little less affirming that the object was extraterrestrial in origin, and then were Roger Lear and Stephen Colburn. And apparently, uh, Jeremy tries to get a hold of the subject to submit it for further testing, but he can't locate it. Uh, Lear, of course, has passed away, and Stephen seemed to just vanish. He doesn't return Jeremy's phone calls, texts, or emails. In fact, he even changes his contact information, so he's uh, kind of disappears. He's he's like vanishes, and it's not known where he or the object went, or how it can be found, or how anybody could be found who even knew what Jeremy was talking about. It's like in the end, uh, amnesia set in with people, along with denial and disappearance, um, mm-hmm. typical for this kind of thing, right? <laughs> but yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah, but there it is—the whole case documented on film. Uh, although at this point, none of it can really be verified. Uh, we don't have the objects. Uh, nobody knows where they are. Uh, but, you know, definitely interesting to watch. And, and we encourage all of you out there to check it out. Uh, you can easily find it with a search for Patient 17 on YouTube. It's the uh, the documentary by Jerry, Jeremy Corbell. Uh, it's not the older supernatural thriller by the same title. I guess it was produced by uh, as an independent movie in England. Uh, With the same name, uh, not that one. Uh, Anyway, it's just a little over an hour long and it's definitely worth watching.
1: Yes. Uh, And unfortunately, Roger Lear did pass away uh, of a heart attack back in 2014, as mentioned in the film. But he did leave us with uh, the accounts of his findings and they are documented in one of those. um, In one of those, he, he tells of a defense worker hearing what sounds like radio noises from his jaw. Uh, after you know the dental x-rays were done a tiny triangle shaped object was discovered with a with an unknown origin to that and another story is that of a boy uh, seeing a glowing object one night in the sky but years later doctors discover an unknown metal object that was uh, down deep in uh, underneath the skin um and there is a, a story after I mean there's story after story about these uh, implants uh, just as there are story after stories about alien abductions and I, I think it's time for the mainstream scientists and the the government to take these things seriously um I mean we did an episode I guess a little over a year now a year ago now where you know we mentioned how abductions may be similar to uh, I get um marine biologist taking sharks. The uh, <laughs> the fish is swimming along minding its own business when you know, all of a sudden it is taken against its will out of its environment aboard a, a strange vessel and it gasps for air and is scared to bits and doesn't know what to do and is about to pass out and sometimes they do pass out um, only to wake up later back in their safe and familiar environment. But you know, it, it doesn't have a clue that there is now something attached to it uh, tracking its every move. So uh, could it be that this is the same type of process done by alien races who are much more advanced than us, uh, probably s- some alien race such as the greys, uh, doing this with humans? You know, are they abducting certain people and implanting them with this uh, sophisticated these sophisticated devices in order to monitor and, and keep track of them?
0: And perhaps now it seems that the you know most of the lore surrounding alien implants um, comes from fairly recent times. Uh, on a 1950s top radio talk show called Long John Nebel, uh, a ufologist from uh, England back then named John Robinson uh, went on that show to say that he met someone way back in 1938, um, unknown name, and he alleged that uh, he was abducted. And uh, John Robinson said that he was able to see on this person's uh, head behind his ears what looked like small earphones uh, that were behind his uh, earlobes, and uh, he, the, the neighbor, uh, was saying that they were put there by aliens. Now, this seems to be the point where alien implants become part of the abduction narrative. At this point in uh, uh, you know, the timeline, like the 1950s, 1960s, and although we do find some rough allusions in, in mythology. To the gods being able to take things out of the body, maybe like the heart, uh, we don't find too many stories about something being put into the body by the gods. I mean, I guess uh, in, in Peru, archaeologists have found elongated skulls with iron plates attached to them, uh, according to Owen Jaris with uh, LiveScience.com, dated February fifteenth of last year. Uh, there are several uh, skulls that haven't found, and uh, there are very likely other strange, similar findings. Um, about that, and these skulls have what look like uh, plates of iron embedded into them, and it's not known if they were embedded into the skulls while the person was alive, or if that was done after the body decomposed. Um, But there's most likely um, strange similar findings elsewhere, but we don't read about them in any of the ancient texts, but none of them really have come to the surface.
1: Yeah, well, um, I mean... Well, we know, I mean, we we actually, humans, can actually put uh, implants inside of people. I mean, you have breast implants, you have pacemakers that we can put in people. And so if we can do things like that, um, you know, we can even put stints in and you know save us from having heart attacks. And so if we can do that at the uh, technological level that we are right now, then – Of course, there's some advanced civilization out there, by maybe light years in advance, uh, technologically uh, over us. Well, it can you know put these small little micro chip type uh, implants into us and and monitor us without us knowing. Uh, They they act on a on a different level and in a different realm. And yeah, if these objects uh, or devices are I mean, they're very small, and you know, they're like a grain of rice or even smaller. So, it could be that people back then, as you were saying, I mean, they weren't aware of anything being implanted. Um, you know, even today, they're not always aware. Uh, they just feel this little thing in their, you know, like we said earlier in the in the uh, in the podcast, they just feel this little lump somewhere on their body, and maybe if they experience some kind of physical, you know, discomfort, that they would, you know, have just written it off as a witchcraft or a curse or probably even a demon back then mm-hmm. um, it may be that it, it wasn't until modern techniques and and modern surgeries where what uh, were employed to be able to locate them and remove them mm-hmm. um, but like you said there are allusions to such a thing the the part in Genesis where uh, for example God takes a rib from Adam in chapter 2 verse 21. And then uh the mark that he puts on King's uh, forehead that's in uh, Genesis chapter four verse fifteen um, so I mean not really implants, but uh, I I don't know for sure, but you know illustration of God you know touching the body of a human and and doing what uh, what God does so
0: <laughs> yeah and, and even in genesis thirty two twenty five you know where Yahweh touches Jacob's thigh causing it to be dislocated. It's similar in the tone. It, it's not saying uh, implant, but it's just kind of that similar, you know, God touching the body and and causing a a an effect. Um, and there are plenty of tales about potions and elixirs uh, that are consumed and can induce magical powers and alter the body, you know, as in shape shifting, uh, yeah. as well as spells and incantations. But nothing really about implants. Uh yeah, perhaps a little in Norse mythology with. Um, Skidbladnir, which is uh, Fry's ship uh, that he could make small enough to fit into his cloak. And then there's the uh, Dropnir, which is Odin's armband, or it magically forms uh, eight golden rings every eighth night. And I'm sure there are other uh, some other elements that can be found among cultures of the world. Uh, so while we do have a good bit that does hint at abductions in the distant past, there doesn't seem to be as much about bodily implants.
1: Oh, there may be something out there somewhere. Uh, We just haven't found it yet. You know, I'm reminded of the uh, Android data in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Whenever thinking about, you know, an implanted chip, (laughs) you know, because I often wonder if humans were at one time similar to data. Um, I mean, not the same in intelligence or strength, because, I mean, he's a he's an android. But but in the emotions like data was he was an android who wanted to be human and he had an emotion chip uh, put put in there by his creator. Um, And once it's turned on, data begins to have emotions. Uh, Is there so is there something similar to how we became self-aware by knowing and developing a conscious uh, like was was the Garden of Eden? That very process that created the human race to think on their own and to have these emotions and and to create religion and establish the the civilizations, um, the species that we are today. So are the gods holding back special wisdom from us, such as only, you know, allowing us to only be able to use, say, uh, the 10 percent of our brain? um maybe we all have some sort of hindrance implanted in, in us keeping us from reaching our full potential so whatever it was it was uh um most likely during the uh, tower of babel when you know where the lord confused us by altering our language so
0: yeah and that, that that story may very well be the connection between modern days uh accounts of alien implants and the uh, ancient traditions the idea that the gods have power over us that to do this power we don't possess uh you know that being able to know how to enter our minds and bodies without us even knowing um who knows maybe that is the physical manifestation manifestation of the meaning of a deity uh, actually being transcendent as well as eminent so um well, that'll be it for today, I guess. That uh, pretty much wraps up uh, what we can say about alien implants. Um, like we said earlier, uh, Roy and I will go over some of the highlights from the Ancient Aliens live tour, and we'll share with you uh, what we took uh, away from listening uh, to what those guys had to say.
1: Yeah, we'll be back on February 12th, um, but we're actually going to try to record the episode uh, the evening before so that you know it be released earlier on on Sunday, as the twelfth uh, is Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> um, yeah. So you know we would prefer to have that out of the way well before uh, game game time. So again, uh, please check out our our new website. Uh, we'll have some pictures posted of the Ancient Aliens Live some you know, symposium uh, at the uh, Orpheum Theater uh, there and and on our social media pages, which some of you have already seen and commented on. Um, so you can uh, find it all on uh, AlienTalkPodcast.com.
0: And just to clarify, if you do a search on your browser with the keywords Alien Talk, you, you may get hyperlinks for Alien Talk, not Alien Talk Podcast. There is another podcast uh, that is called Alien Talk. Uh, that one is not ours, which is Alien Talk Podcasts podcast um,
1: any, search,
0: any, any search engine will bring up both uh, as well as some other similar podcasts but uh yeah the the website is www.alientalkpodcast.com our email address is uh, alientalkpodcast talk podcast at outlook.com and of course our uh pages on facebook instagram and twitter are under the search title alien talk podcast so thank you to everyone for your support and for the encouraging comments you have given us we really appreciate that Uh, we couldn't do this show without all of you out there so until we join you again uh, please stay curious
1: yes uh, a big thanks Uh, joe and i always look forward to joining you every other week and we hope you tune in again and have a great couple of weeks uh, listen in next week as we discuss several topics from the Ancient Aliens Live. So, so long for now, and uh, bye, everyone.